G'day everyone and welcome to episode 4 of series 2 of the Wide Open Road podcast, a podcast about athlete transition to life after sport. I hope you and your families are healthy and safe wherever you are around the world. Many communities are struggling to cope with the COVID-19 situation as all of us know, so please listen to your leaders, stay at home where possible and please stay safe. Thanks so much for tuning in to the first three episodes. I've been overwhelmed with the numbers of listeners tuning in and plenty of people have said that career transition is a very important topic that needs to be the forefront of the sporting conversation and work conversations more generally, especially with the COVID-19 environment we're all living in. Today's guest is an all-time great of the AFL. It just happens to be one of the nicest and happiest people you could ever meet. Former Western Bulldogs skipper and games record holder Brad Johnson is one of the game's great stories. He was recruited from Williamstown, a stone's throw from the place he called home for his entire AFL career, the Witten Oval. During a 16-year, 364-game career, there wasn't much Brad didn't achieve. All-Australian representative, club captain, best and fairest, leading goal kicker, international rules representative and a Team of the Century member. Since retiring, Brad has forged a successful media career and he and his wife Donna have also invented the Xena Performance Garment for AFL women's players to help protect the ribs and chest area. Yes, as you're about to find out, there's more to Brad Johnson than meets the eye, so please enjoy my conversation with the true star of the AFL. Brad, it's terrific to see you here this evening and listeners, uh, for those of you uh, obviously can't see we're on we're on Zoom. Uh, Brad's smiling as he always is, uh, but Jono, it's terrific to see you here, mate. Thanks so much for joining us. And if we think about no, a first I... question, and, and and we talk about transition, can you tell us a little bit about how you felt when you knew your playing career was coming to an end, and then were you excited about the next phase of your life, or were you fearful about what was next? Oh, look, it's firstly it's it's great to join you as well, uh, and uh, and g'day to everyone. It's look, you're coming to the end of end of something. It, Retirement is a is a word that normally say for you know you might be in your in your sixties and and you, you might uh, those words might come up and that's what I experienced you know with my parents and bits of best my wife's parents as well but you know being you know having that word banged around at the age thirty four it's a little bit scary to be honest with you know what am I doing am I am I going off into the sunset and uh, and that's it enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your life but. It obviously doesn't work that way, being being so young. And um, oh, look, I was I was well and truly ready to retire. That was uh, that was the thing. And I, look, in the end, I was I was pretty lucky that I was able to get through and play seventeen years at the at the Bulldogs, and I absolutely loved every minute. But but on the on the back of it, I knew that my last year in two thousand and ten was was probably always going to be that, just with how my my body was. And uh, although I didn't have too many injuries, I started not to be able to handle the loads of training as well as what I would have liked. And Started to fall away a little bit in terms of my performance in that in that last year. So I had some good discussions along the way, but I, I was fully prepared for retirement. Um, I sort of prepared pretty well throughout my entire career, knowing that one day it, it would end. And I, in the footy industry, you just don't know when that day could be. And um, and for me, it was you know at the age of thirty four. It's interesting you say that because being prepared and ready is not a particularly common occurrence or a common trait in professional sports people in general when they're coming to the end of their careers. But what were the sorts of things that you thought about when you were playing and and knowing, having one eye on what was going to happen when you're you know, into your 30s and, and beyond? Because when a, a footballer or when a, a professional sports person finishes a career in, in their early 30s, they've still got, we hope, at least 50 years on the planet. It's a long time. That's right. Yeah, it's a very long time, and that's what you'd hope as well. Look, for me, it probably goes back before I was even drafted, to be honest with you, Ed, because... 
I, at age 15, you know, I was told that, you know, footy probably wasn't going to be professional football at the highest level, was something that I, you know, might be able to achieve. I had a really poor junior carnival in one of the representative teams, and on the back of that, you know, a lot of guys were invited down to the Bulldogs to train, and um, and I wasn't one of those guys. So I had to sort of sit there and go, OK, what, what can I do to, to change things here? And getting hit between the eyes at a young age like that, um, you know, it... it probably looking back was one of the best things that ever happened to me throughout my whole footy journey because from that point on I was 15 I went and played under 19s with Williamstown I played four reserves games that year and then um, you know started to grow up in terms of footy in footy terms playing against men I was outside pretty soft I, I learned to sort of toughen up a little bit as well and then I went back and played the Western Jets and played under 18 footy as a 16 year old turning 17 yeah and um, and handled myself really well against kids my own age at that point because of what I'd played the year before in terms of some senior footy. And um, and throughout that, that year at the Western Jets, they would always talk about you've got to have an eye for, you know, what you want to do outside of the game, especially at that time when there was it wasn't professional. So it was either, you know, university or a, a job. So those things were, were high on the agenda of, um, of the Western Jets at that point. And also my... My year 12 teacher that year, uh, or sorry, my year 11 teacher that year was was Brian Cordy, who played at the Bulldogs. And, oh, and he, he was a big influence at that period of my life too because he had worked through his entire career and had to train and, and do all those things. So those guys were in my year early about being organised and being prepared. And I got drafted at 17, so I was still at school. Uh, you know, So I'd travel to Geelong every day and come back and, and train uh, at the Bulldogs and then... I lived in Hoppers Crossing right in between halfway. So that um, that made me sort of look at that organisational aspect of things and just being fully prepared for, you know, footy life and school life. I was studying year 12, so I had to be super, super organised to, to get through. And so from that point on, um, you know, I always had that mindset of, of wanting to do something outside of the game. And when I, when I finished year 12, my second year of footy, I... I studied a Bachelor of Arts in Rec Management and I, I completed that in three years and then things started to become full-time in terms of footy after that. So I was always sort of had in the back of my mind that, and I was always a really organised and prepared guy because I needed to be because at a young age I was thrust into it and while still studying. I'll tell you what, I, I, could, uh, I could... It's a pity my 16-year-old my son isn't sitting here <laughs> listening to us about being... Organised and prepared about studying and all those sorts of things. That's another story. But it, it, it sounds to me like th- those formative years were incredibly important around that mindset of looking, always looking forward. Because professional athletes in and you've lived it. You know, when you get into that bubble and you get into that sort of routine, it's very much a week to week kind of proposition. Because if you're young, if you're a rookie and you're only been in there a couple of years you're focusing on getting a game every week. So you're doing everything you possibly can in order to make sure that you get picked. And so there may not necessarily be as much of a focus on that longer-term story, which is all about what am I going to do when I finish. And to your point, you know, it can finish pretty quickly. And if you think about the lessons that you learned early, which then allowed that to take into your into your career, I mean, what were some of the things that you might have spoken with your peers about and you know you played with some really great footballers uh, who uh, have gone on to do a range of different things post footy but I mean were those the sorts of things that you spoke about maybe to as you were getting towards the the you know in the late 20s early 30s with with your peers oh look 
it wasn't something we discussed uh, really openly. I, I didn't really can't remember discussing it openly with those with those guys. But but what I did do was just sit back and watch and learn uh, from from what those guys uh, were doing. Look, I had some unbelievable mates, um, you know, that were that were great players as well. In in and and they grabbed me under their under their wing in, in Granny, in Rowan Smith, and, and and Scotty West. So those three guys really grabbed me. I was I walked through the doors with Luke Darcy. So we we had really strong relationships and um, and watching those guys sort of evolve and they all you know were a bit older than myself so they, they retired at, uh, at different stages and and seeing their success throughout their careers we, I, I would jump on the back of them and um, and certainly learn a lot lot from them in terms of discussions about post football it was more from a, a club level that they would talk to the group about that and that continued on right throughout my career but you know, you see some guys that'll sit there and just get through the meeting for the sake of getting through the meeting. Um, I was a little bit different that that I, um, you know, people are giving of their time, so I was like that. I, I sort of, you know, loved hearing that sort of information. I jumped on the back of that information and really took it on board um, because they're, they're talking from experiences of players that that they knew of that you know finish the game and and walk away with with nothing. And and I sort of sit there going, well, okay. I've got to learn from those mistakes. Like my older brother, I used to learn off his mistakes all the time, so I didn't make them myself. So sometimes you've got to learn from some of the stories that are told um, and come past you so that you don't make the same mistakes, so that when you do get to that end, and, and I was you know, at the end married and kids and, and all that sort of stuff, that I could actually still support my family in a really strong way and not um, let it enter into our family life where those stresses that can come you know, post-playing the game, because... We live by an A4 bit of paper for, you know, every single day of the week. You know, you get told exactly where you're going to be, at what time. You've got to be 10 to 15 minutes early for every single session you go to. So there's all those, you know, strict parameters around, you know, living our daily life from that A4 piece of paper. And you just, um, that's probably the biggest adjustment post-footy is the fact that you throw that out. But you're so attuned to living that way that, that that adjustment for me was probably a little bit harder than, knowing what direction I wanted to take in terms of, um, you know, life after the game. Look, you, you make everyone that I've spoken to on this podcast says the same thing. You are literally living in a bubble and you know where you have to be, when you have to be there, what you have to wear. And as a result, everything is sort of, it revolves around that schedule. And obviously from an AFL perspective uh, and other sports, that schedule changes week to week, depending on when you're playing and where you're playing. And if you think about the structural side of things and the fact that, you're living in that really rigid kind of existence. Tell us about the first six months after you finished. I mean, I mean, what did you do and how did you mentally adjust to, to you know, 17 years? I mean, you play 360-odd games, so that means you've probably trained, you know, let's say three or four or 5,000 times over the course of that <laughs> career with, with the doggies. That's, and so, you know, that's probably all you knew. So what were the things that you did to help get yourself adjusted to being what I would call a, a just a normal working person yeah look it was it was challenging and I suppose one step back to that is when you are in that in that bubble of the AFL environment you are reasonably selfish everything revolves around you getting to training and, and with your family and, and you turning up to match day in the best in the best form and it was actually refreshing to hear Rory Sloan I think it was uh, when this whole COVID thing started sort of come out and sort of say why is my job considered more important than what my wife does? Why do I have to give up? Why why does she have to give up everything for me to go and play 
play football. But that's the way it was when we were when we were coming through. It was all about that and you know the wins and the losses and um, and and those sort of achievements along the way. And you did have that selfish element to the way that you needed to prepare yourself to become you know an elite player in in the competition. So. I had that in mind, I suppose, when I did retire. Six months after I finished, we moved to Torquay. We, we bought some land and I was in retirement. Mode. That was the way, wasn't it? Just retired on the beach and, uh, and go and enjoy life. But I, I loved the first, actually, part. It, it was tough to adjust. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I really loved just being there the whole time uh, for my family and, and my wife and, um, and just taking some of that load that, that she was was brilliant with throughout uh, you know my entire career. So that was an, an adjustment, but one I loved, more loved taking on board. And um, and then from there, but my my work was um, steady when I retired. But as the years went on, post retirement, um, it sort of became more and more. So um, you know I had a really good level, and then it's um, and then the, the workload has just increased with experience since since finishing up. And you mentioned the other day when we had a conversation to prepare for this discussion that uh, your media work was something that you obviously identified relatively early in your career that you had an interest to go down that path and being a leading player for a long long period of time at the football club, being the captain and having to front up to media calls, I suspect pretty much every week of the season and probably off season as well. So you got a bit of a taste for it. And you you mentioned to me that you said, no matter what your form was like, uh, and I'd love to have met the person who wrote you, wrote you off at 15, by the way. Um, the, 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 it was my fault in, in the end. I played, I played poorly. So that's that's the nature of the cutthroat you know, industry as, a, as it was really cutthroat when I was coming through as a junior. Well, it, it, it sounds like it was. But the, the thing is, is that you, you mentioned that you got the taste for it because you were constantly in front. And you said, if I'm playing badly, I don't care, put me up because it helps you develop. So, I mean, what were some of the things that you learned? And I, I suspect that as a result, you built a bit of a network outside the club when it came to, to either Fox or other football networks. I think you've been involved with Seven Early Doors and yeah. you've been on the radio as well. So yeah. what were some of the things that you took out of that that listeners – especially who might be coming to the end of their sporting careers, might want to take out of the fact that you were you were playing footy but you were learning about the craft that you're now doing really well in. Yeah, look, that was that was important for me because I it was what I really wanted to do when I when I finished playing was was jump into the into the media space and jump into commentary and be a part of shows and, and, and just, you know, have fun with footy, which is the most important thing for me. But also, um, you know, have that serious side of um, of learning to you know, call the games and, and commentate on, on the games effectively. So all those things were were a part of the development. I probably spent about 10 years, the last 10 years of my career, doing some sort of media work every year. And I did have those discussions with, with the club because I, I made sure I had those chats because at times if you are playing poorly, the first thing that they will drag back off you is that media exposure. You're doing too much media. You, you've got to now come back and focus on, on your footy. But I had those open chats with them about, look, that's what I want to do when I finish footy. So all the experience that I get, whether I'm playing good or not, this is me doing uh, a Tuesday night show for Channel 7 or doing Oz kicking around for Fox footy is not affecting my operation to perform on a Saturday afternoon. So I'm still turning up to training. I'm still going as hard as I can at training. And, and everything I did was structured into that A4 piece of paper. So if I knew that I had training on a Tuesday afternoon, that... And Fox wanted me to jump in and do Oz kicking around. That was no, I couldn't do it then. I had to do it 
you know, in and around in and around the schedule. So it never conflicted with being late for training or not being able to go to training or, or anything like that. Footy was still the number one basis, but um, the media side of things and the club were really great with that. Um, they they saw that I had a real sort of passion for that side of things and and they encouraged me just to keep uh, keep working at it as much as possible. And that's why they allowed those opportunities to open up through you know a little bit of work with with seven at times and then obviously as I mentioned there the show with uh, Fox Footy and I remember doing shows with Jason Dunstall live and kicking and all these other ones that that these guys were were brilliant to work with and learn from um, in the early in the early days and. I still work with a lot of those guys today and we've got great relationships and they still continue to assist me as much as they possibly can, whether it's match day broadcast or through doing Saturday Stretch, which we do now, or, or some of the other shows on Fox during the week. And it's been great to jump straight into Fox post footy. They're an unbelievable company to work for and they're, they're, so, they're so good to us as, um, as guys stepping out of the game. They really understand the adjustment that it can take to, to, to get rolling again. So... They're patient with us, which is good and in the early days and they, they'll challenge us, but they're, they're also caring in terms of, you know, the way they educate and, and continue to teach us. Well, it's interesting you say that because I would imagine, I've never been, I've never worked in the media, but a lot of people say that the media is is almost, if not more competitive than the environment that you spent 17 years in, in the, in the sense that you've got, you've got impatient owners You've got ratings that are so you you basically judge like you are on the football field on a week to week, month to month basis. Yep. You've got a whole bunch of people that probably want your job, and you've got people that are critiquing you every day because they're seeing you live on television on pre-records, all the things that are going on. So there must actually be quite a parallel between your on-field and off-field roles in the game, purely because there is that competitive side, and it's a bit like your supply and demand. There's a lot of people who want to do it, but there's not that many people who get to. Yeah, that's right. And look, it, it, it is it is competitive in some ways, and the media landscape has changed completely over over time. And since retiring, you know, you, we've really all had to evolve with the way that um, the way that it does look at at this current stage. And there, you, you've got to evolve with it. You, you just can't. You know, I was told when I walked through the doors at Fox that yes, we'll focus on your commentary first, but there's got to be other elements that you're going to have to start to bring to the table, whether that's working on your hostings and. Um, and working on other aspects of different shows within the company that can help further you in in maintaining a role within within the industry, and that's where the competitive nature, I suppose, starts to jump in. And but I, I must admit that the, the guys I've had so many so many guys from the the best in sort of Eddie McGuire and Anthony Hudson do a lot of work with me in terms of that hosting aspects of things. So these guys are extremely busy, but they're always willing to give it themselves. Jared Healy's been huge, and Jason Dunstall and you know, Jeremy for the Saturday night stuff that we were doing. All these guys and girls in there are, are more than willing to spend time to help you get better. And I know it might be like that in any every organisation, but that's just been my experience with uh, with the guys at, at Fox. You know, but you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and ask the question as well. I think that's that's really important. The biggest thing, though, Ed, on in terms of um, post game, post uh, career, is is feedback. Because we used to get feedback at a footy club 
every single day and pretty much every minute of every day everyone's looking at you and judging you and you know whether you lifted that weight heavy enough or whether you slackened off here or how your footy session went and and is, 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 was, the, was the feedback mostly negative as opposed to no, positive no, no it, was, oh, it was more positive most of the time everyone was trying to make it if it was never negative it was always about making you a better player so I always saw it like that and I never got too flustered by some negative feedback because it was always just an attempt to make you do things better. So, so that's okay. You just jump on board and, and, and make sure you do do it better next time. But you sort of, I found that we had to search for feedback when you first step out of the out of the game because everyone's off doing their own things within the organisation that uh, the feedback might have come, you know, once or twice a year. Uh, in terms of that, that proper sit-down uh, feedback I'm talking about, you're always getting advice along the way and, uh, and things like that. But the... The proper aspect of feedback. I remember Fox sort of saying to me, don't be scared. You come and ask us. We're busy. You come and ask us. <laughs> we think we'll tell you. So, um, so that was that was a, a different thing as well. Look, it's it's interesting. If, if we sort of pivot back to, to your playing days, the one thing, and I'm, I mean, I, I can still recall the day that I met you. You won't remember this, but uh, when, I, when Cam Rose got me on board, when he was the CEO, uh, I went for a walk around the, the old... Western Bulldogs facilities, and, and, and you and I both know that they were very different to what they are now. And, and you were you were lifting some weights on your own in the old gymnasium. There was sort of paint peeling off the walls. There was a, I'm pretty sure there was an old stereo that was sort of sitting above you. You were the only person there. It was October. I just wandered yeah. in, just sort of said hello, left you alone. But I remember that there was just a, a, a kind of a an interesting dynamic about the club because footy clubs are all the same in my experience whether you're an AFL player or an amateur player there's a lot of band there's a lot of fun and then you go out and do what you got to do on the weekends but the thing that really amazed me about a professional sporting environment like the Bulldogs and we're talking about 17 years ago now is that the amazing access that players have to networks and I'm talking about the board and the board at the time, David Smorgan was chairman. You know, you couldn't get a more influential and, and, and good person to, to have someone to lean on for advice. Then you had yeah. the broader board members. You had the sponsors, the coterie groups. So as a football player, I think a lot of footballers might not, and a lot of sports people who are in that sort of environment, may not understand just how important it is for them to, to leverage those networks while they can because once they finish, well, the next player comes through the system and they're kind of forgotten about. So can you talk a little bit about the things that, that you might have done with sponsors and with board members and with Cody Group members, which just once again, you put yourself out there and, and opportunities would normally come up as a result? Yeah, look, there was, there was a lot throughout throughout the career. Some some that were, were organised from, from a club point of view. A, a lot were, though, just um, you know going and speaking with, with different people off your own bat because they're... They're highly, most of them are, are highly successful people, especially at the you know, especially at the board level and, and, and right down through the organisation. So even the coterie guys that and, and families that are on board usually have some sort of success, and that's why they're able to put themselves in that position to really assist the club. So you know, their their, their experiences and their knowledge is 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 quite large. So you know, that that's the thing. Like you look at. You look at players and you, you, we used to say to them, look, we've got these guys, we've got amazing sponsors and we've got um, individuals that are willing to help. So you've got to go out and you might know what you want to do, but you might spend you know, a couple of months going around and, and spending a day or two at their organisations and then all of a sudden you might find, I don't mind this, oh, Coca-Cola's a sponsor, Coke's got 
you know, a million different departments. You know what I mean? Like, go and find some certain departments that you want to uh, want to be involved in. And and look, the best actually one of the best things, and, and not many people probably know that I that I did it. But when, the year I retired, I went to the AFL and did an internship. So I was a 34 year old work experience kid in at the AFL. But honestly, it was the best thing that that I did post footy. One of the best things because I did that. I went to the AFL and I worked in. Um, strategy and I worked in game development and I worked in footy ops and I spent a couple of months in each um, each department over over 12 months. They didn't put me in legal or um, <laughs> finances but that was okay. I didn't want to go there anyway. And at the end of that, I found that the game development side was a pathway that I really enjoyed sort of doing. So then from that, I ended up getting a, a coaching job in the, in the AFL Academy and um, and working through that, and I've been a part of the academy for the last nine years. So, you know that sometimes you just got to, you know, as a player, you've got to just dedicate the time, and you you mightn't get paid for it, and you might get, you know, it might just be because you you're trying to just make yourself better. And I think they appreciate that more if that's if that's definitely the the case. And 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 off the back of it, you generally find yourself in a position where if you find what you like, the organisation will bend over backwards to actually assist you because if you're a good person and you work hard, they'll, they'll give you a first crack at it. Yeah, like, you're spot on there. I mean, I can remember, and, you know, being part of the team that, you know, ran the commercial side of things at the Doggies way back then, I can, I can assure you listeners that Brad and uh, and Smithy were two of the best guys to deal with when it came to actually going and doing sponsored functions. <laughs> but, I, but I can remember we had a – oh, God, I'm going back a long time now, but I can remember – we had a some sort of launch at ScienceWorks a long, long time ago, and there was a big dinner there, and there was some drinks downstairs, and we all went somewhere else, and, and there was a whole bunch of, of players standing almost in a corner, a bit like at the social, you know, with the girls on one side of the room and the boys on the other, and, and I'd go up to them and say, fellas, look, why don't you go and mingle with the guests, you know, talk to the sponsors, and they're all sort of basically saying, what are you, to get out, you know, we're, you know, we're going to stay here. You were one of those guys, by the way. But the thing was, was that it was just really interesting to get an understanding of the fact that this is something that I think people need to be really cognizant of because it only takes one conversation and one conversation could lead to something that you do for the next 50 years. But the the other thing is, which you rightly pointed out, is that, you know, you want to find out the thing, in my opinion, you want to find out the things you don't want to do because you don't want to be stuck in a job when you finish whatever sporting pursuit you're in and you've got to do it because you've got no alternatives. And because you haven't tried things out, and then you, because you do have a runway, uh, I know the AFLPA through the bargaining agreement. Now you have to have at least one day off every week. I suspect yep. it was pretty much the same when you were playing. It so was similar. Yep. If you know you do have the time, if you want to be proactive and go out there, and you know, as Ron Barassi said, if it is to be, it's up to me. You've actually got to go and do it yourself. And you know, Simon Garlic's the classic example. Worked for Lease Plan. Lease Plan was the major sponsor when I was there when you were playing, and yep. and he ended up working there for quite a period of time. Walked, worked his way up the ranks, and and I'm, I'm I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect uh, the CEO Abe Thomas and and uh, Galo would have met through the club, and one thing would have led to another, and and look where he's got to now. So it can happen. Oh, that's right, and and Galo's a great example. But there's so many guys that that have that example, and there's some that there's some that don't as well. It just really depends too on. I think the longevity in the game is really dictates a lot of that sort of stuff because when you are young, you are a bit shyer and you know, a bit nervous around it and more the senior sort of type players are the ones that are actually 
you know, out there doing a little bit more and, and the first ones to jump in the conversations with people and, and that sort of stuff. But that's the thing. You can, you can last two years in the game. You can last 17 years in the game. There is a lot of luck along the way uh, that, that goes with it as well. So I think the longer you're, you're in there, the more comfortable you are within that environment. To then, and you grow within it naturally um, anyway. So I think that helps you. Um, certainly helped me the, the longer I stayed in the in the game to be able to have those sort of chats. And now even today, like, you know, the other day I was chatting to Dean Smorgan again, you know, like just things like that. Dave Stevenson, who's a CEO, I, I catch up with him on a regular basis just to talk, um, you know, different piece, parts of the business that we've got and little aspects like that are, are people that I only met through through the Bulldogs. And I only met, I only met Dave after he was CEO after I retired. So you just go to functions, you talk, you develop relationships and, and you're willing then to help each other along the way. And I mean, those, and those, I'm sure those people um, would bend over backwards to help you if you came to them for assistance now. Just and, and I think that one thing that a lot of people, especially younger people, might want to think about is the fact that there's not one person I've ever asked in my life for help that has said no. It might mm. be, look, if you got if you got half an hour, I just need to run something past you. Everybody without fail will, is happy to help because there's actually a little bit of a a kick for the people who are being asked because it means that right. you know and so from that perspective I think certainly young sports people should really take that on board because to your point it can end quickly and if it ends quickly suddenly you become sort of yesterday's person and they've you know some people might move on but one of the things but that it doesn't but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter either if you like if if one of the guys got chopped from the AFL but he goes back to VFL or Sample or Waffle or even local level football they're still really experienced yeah. people at those levels as well, that are that are um, you know had amazing careers themselves, whether that's in work or sport. So it's not just that 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 top level that we're talking about. It it really does encompass you know whatever sort of club you you're at. There's successful people everywhere that are willing to help you. And you know what? If they can't find the answer, they'll tell you. But they will have a crack at it for you. They'll they'll try and assist as much as they can. Yeah, exactly. And and if they don't know the answer, they probably will find someone who does. And that's that's, that's right. a really important thing too. Let's talk about balance for a minute. You know, there's sort of two schools that I've come across with respect to the balance of life in and out of the bubble of professional sport. There are some people who are very happy to say, no, you've got to dictate and you've got to dedicate 100% of your time all the time just to sport, whether it's playing on the weekends, competing, getting prepared, recovery, all of those sorts of things, and you shouldn't do nothing else. And then there's Another camp, which is which is what I call the David Parkin camp, and Parko's been on this podcast in the first series, a wonderful guy, and was somebody who I'm sure you've come across in your journey through footy, and he was very much saying there has to be balance, and I can remember, I'm pretty sure that Andrew Mackay spent some time studying veterinary science in Adelaide while he was playing for Carlton in Melbourne, and, and Parko allowed him to do that. And I, I think, I mean, what's your view on on this getting the balance right between living and breathing it, but also having some, some escape outside of it to make sure that you don't probably go a little bit crazy. But I imagine it's not one size doesn't fit all here because some people might need to dedicate all of their time to getting the best out of themselves, whereas others may, may not have to do so. Yeah, look, I was 100% uh, committed to, to it, but you're right with that, with that balance. Like I, I gave absolutely everything that I, that I could of myself when I, was, when I was at the footy club, but... As soon as I stepped away and, and went home, or or um, you know caught up with my mates, you know I was I was pretty good at relaxing as well and just uh, just enjoying the time with them and trying not to talk I suppose too much footy and and getting that balance. But the balance for me was also 
you know, the, the schooling or, or the, uh, the work aspects of life that, that just gave you a chance to breathe outside the bubble, we used to sort of say, you know what I mean? So that gave us a chance just to, you know, get out there and enjoy the aspects of, um, of life, whether that was work or, or a bit of play. And, and the balance for me was, you know, I probably played my, when I was younger, played my worst games of football in the school holidays. So because the whole routine that I was so structured in and, and loved was taken away in terms of that you, that, that two or three week period of holidays, all of a sudden, you know, I'm not, I'm just training and coming home and sitting on my backside rather than, you know, having something to study or, or go to school or go to uni or, or things like that or go to, um, go to work and that, those aspects of things. So I always found that, you know, my footy would always drop off during, in the early days, during those holiday periods when, you know, I just seemed to sort of take, take that break away from the game, which was, which was structured through school. And I mean, if you think about the the things that that you would do, because you mentioned before, obviously that whenever you were training, you train at you know at a million miles an hour, and you do exactly what yeah. you had to do. But you also had the ability to sort of to take a back seat. I mean, what, what were some of the things that might have sort of frustrated you? And you're not, you know, I know you well enough to know that you're not the sort of guy that gets frustrated very often. Um, <laughs> the, but like the thing is that. A lot of people talk about the bubble and talk about the fact that they, they actually want to try and move away from from talking about the sport that they are you know that they're playing and talking about the things that go on in their lives because for a lot of people who aren't in that environment they'd love to be so they're interested in it but at the same time you want to try and escape from it when you can in order just to get a bit of downtime so I mean what about sort of the identity side of things of of you know Brad Johnson the footballer versus Brad Johnson just the dad the husband father yeah. the the brother the sister the son sort of thing so how, how did you sort of work around that because I know that you know that pretty much everywhere in AFL footballer goes with the profile that you've got and you had that you know people are sticking autograph books or telephones in your face wanting a photograph and wanting to talk about how you played on the weekend or what's going to happen next weekend yeah look it was I'm not going to sit here and pretend it wasn't challenging at, at times because, you know, sometimes you have a bad day and you just want to go home, you know. You're just over it. You, you, want, to, uh, you want to get out. So I'm not saying I went through and smiled the whole time and just had a, you know, a hoot of a time, but 95% of it was, though, for me because I'm, I'm a footy lover and I loved all aspect of it, learning about the game and, um, you know, understanding it. And I, and I just And I just loved being around it. So... For me, it was easy to talk to people about that because it's what I also loved myself. I wasn't in the game and then, you know, not hugely passionate about it. I knew I you know, loved playing, but then I just wanted to step away. That, that wasn't my personality. So it was a lot easier for, for myself to, you know, be at these family days with thousands of people and, and try and get as many photos that, you know, never say no to anyone on those days. But you get home absolutely, absolutely buggered. But I was sort of always of the opinion as well that, you know, they, these things are short-lived in your life. You've got to enjoy them while while you can. Um, and so I, I sort of tried to just enjoy them as much as possible. Like I said, I, I wasn't perfect and I wasn't, um, you know, I, I did have certain events where you're just over it and you just wanted, you know, just something's going on at home, you just wanted to get home, but you've got that commitment you, to do first and things like that. So we all, we all you know, fluctuate throughout it. But, but pretty much overall, you know, I just... You know, try to embrace it as much as as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a good attitude. And you know, having seen it firsthand, maybe sometimes people are a little bit pushy 
Uh, and sometimes yeah. people are wanting to do things that maybe they wouldn't not ask the normal person to do that they've never and met before. 99% of people were honestly great because yeah. you know what? Most of them were either footy lovers or bulldog lovers. So you, you win-win in that situation, really, because people are just there because you know they're passionate about the footy club and the and the team, and that's a positive, that's a good thing. And sometimes yeah, it gets a bit over overwhelming or. You know, a lot of people are up in you just thinking that you're not going to get their autograph to them, so they're a bit pushy and shoving. You just got to be honest with them and say, "Hey, it's okay. We'll get to everyone. Just, just relax that sort of stuff." And you can, you can calm everyone down pretty quickly and have a bit of a laugh with them if it did get to that point. And we had good staff as well. And as you, as you're well and truly aware, everything was, every all the players were were made sure that the environments they were they were put into were really controlled as well. And there was always someone ready to um, assist you if uh, if need be. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I mean, I mean, I look at what's going on with COVID now, and this is, I think, day four, four or five of the second lockdown in Melbourne. And you know, the the thing is, is that I think it's it's provided AFL players and the broader sporting community with an understanding of just how important the punters are. I mean, it really does bring into sharp focus the fact that whilst you guys are doing an awesome job and the players are doing an unbelievably great job playing in front of nobody. Uh, when they're used to playing in front of a lot of people, I think it really brings into sharp focus just the important component of the, of the fans because the players put on the show and the fans turn up every week. And it's really interesting just seeing how much people are loving the fact that the players are playing. We can't get there. And I'm a, like you, I'm a footy lover. And it's just a really interesting thing to come out of COVID that it might just bring into really sharp focus just how important that aspect of the game is when it comes to the way some people might choose to to make decisions around whether they do something or not do something or sign an autograph or have a photograph taken. So I think that's a, a really interesting component of what we're dealing with now. I mean, Yeah, I agree, mate. That, that's where you look at the, you know, you used, to, you used to walk off the ground and you'd have a bad loss and you know you've played poorly but and you'd cop abuse and that's, you know, okay. And when you win, they, they'd want to hug and celebrate with you but... The players understand when they've either individually played poorly or, or the team has has played um, played poorly. But I think you're right in terms of in terms of where it sits now and what we're visually not seeing and the importance that that most fans you know bring you bring to the game. And and everyone rides the emotions of footy. That's that's life. That's they paid their hard earned to go and watch you perform well. And when you don't. Well, you deserve some feedback probably. So, and, and look, the feedback was only usually over the fence when I was when I was playing. Now, the feedback comes left, right, and centre. So it's a different dynamic for what the players, especially socially through social media and those sort of things, deal with today compared to what what uh, we had to deal with as 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 players when uh, when I was playing. And I, I don't, I, to be honest, with you, I don't know how I'd go today. I, I don't know. I don't really have social media. I never have, but and I probably wouldn't today. But then some, I, I might have to. You got the best players in the competition that have it for certain aspects of things. But I don't know. I hope they turn their comments off because I, I don't think I could. I could handle it. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that you know. It's a great segue into what I want to talk with you about about this very issue. And you talk about the fact that you wanted to make sure you enjoyed your journey because it is short lived. Even though seventeen years is a long time in the scheme of your life, it's. It's still a relatively small period of time. But, I mean, you, you obviously, you, you're seeing a lot and you're talking to lots of players that are playing now. Do you get the sense that some players really struggle with what I'd call the the, the other influences that 
that are in the game now. Now, you would argue that some maybe bring it on themselves with respect to if they put themselves out to social media, it doesn't it doesn't in any way, shape or form give people the right to abuse and, and, and do all the things that it's, that's, that's just a disgrace. But I mean, I do worry that the enjoyment factor may be slowly being seeping out of the game that everyone plays because they absolutely love it. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's why you end up getting to that point because you, you love it and you just want to be the best that you, you can be. And, and look, and, and maybe talking to, to, to some players, yeah, some have, some have a lot of social media and, some some it doesn't worry. Some some don't really you know really care about it. They they really do have a strong mentality that it is within the club environment. That's the only feedback that that really matters. And some can park that and put that to one side if they're getting some comments. They, they just flip through them and don't uh, don't worry about it. But there would be others that do get affected by it. And that's where you've got to try and find that right balance on what you can and can't uh, you know take in terms of what can come your way. And a lot of it might be positive. But there will be some negative stuff, and it's how you really um, how you really handle that. Well, we used to get letters, you know what I mean? Like back in the day, <laughs> people would write in, you know, they wouldn't put their name to it, you'd throw it straight at the bin. So, you, know, <laughs> you can't throw your phone out. So, it's, you either disable it or, or you don't, but you've got to be in the right mindset. I think you've got to have a good support network around you um, as well today that can really help assist in, in those areas, and that's why we're seeing clubs... Um, you know, take it a lot more serious now and especially with the welfare managers that are employed that uh, can really help control these sort of things. And, and I think the, I think this, I think society as a whole though is a lot stronger now on that negative side of things that do come through and what is acceptable and what's, what's not acceptable. And we're seeing a lot more people get being called out for, you know, being extremely rude and, and those sort of things towards, towards anyone. And I mean that, and rightly so. I mean, I think the interesting thing that I've noticed in the media, uh, and obviously you're part of it, is that there's there's kind of this funny sort of sort of balance that the media want players to be open and honest and and give them information and talk about the things that are on their minds. And I know a number of players have come out over the course of the last couple of weeks about the hubs that they're going to up in New South Wales, and I think now they're all moving to Queensland. Yeah. And and they've said, you know what. You know, I'm not personally that happy about going. I've got, you know, young children and a wife at home and, you know, I feel like I'm letting them down if I leave. I feel like I'm, I'm letting the club down if I don't go and the fans and all the rest yeah. of things. But the, and, and they get pilloried for it. And, I, and I've always been of the view that everyone's got their own lives and their own views and you can't knock someone just because they've decided to say something that you don't agree with. And then the media get on board, some of the commentators get on board and say, oh, well, he's whinging and all that sort of stuff. And then what happens is that they don't say the next time when they're asked a question, they say, "Look, you know, I'm not going to answer that." Or they give them, a, they sort of pat it back, deadpan. Then they get, then they get bagged for for not opening up. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 getting better. I think I think it is. And you know, there's 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 everyone's you know got got that opinion, and we're all trying to put it across, I suppose. But and you've probably got more avenues to be able to do that these days. But look, I, in terms of the social media side of things, look. I don't want to let people know that I'm away, mate. I like to go and just get away. I don't, I don't want to share photos of what I'm, what I'm doing. That's, that's just me personally. You know, everything I've done for so long has been really public in terms of the sport that I played and the job that I'm in now. So I think people see enough of me as it is rather than wanting to see more than, you know, sitting there on a, on a beach somewhere. Like, honestly. But anyway, that's... But that's me, and that's just that's just who I am. My my kids are different. My wife's different to 
to that in terms of um, you know the whole social media and a lot of my mates are, but um, but they they know what I like to do and um, and they accept that for that. Because I have had a, I've had a lot of chats throughout the time, you know, managers and bits and pieces saying you need social media, you need to have that awareness out there. And I'm always like, no, it's just it's not something that has ever really interested me or, or sat well with me. I don't know whether we can class a podcast as social media or not, John. So if you're, bra- if you're breaking your rule, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you can't tag me in anything, mate. <laughs> you can't hashtag it, mate. <laughs> Let's talk about managers because, you know, managers, depending on, you know, who, where people sit, have really important roles to play in the lives of their clients. And as a result of that, that there's obviously a certain amount of influence that a manager will have over, especially a younger player, I would suspect, with respect to yeah. gu- guiding them in the in the right direction around a whole range of things to do with their careers. In your experience, I know you had a couple of different managers over the course of your 17 years, and the personalities aren't important, but I'm interested in sort of your view on the role of the manager in helping start to shape and plan and help you develop a strategy for what happens after footy. I mean, can you talk a little bit about your experiences, maybe talking with managers and, and getting sort of feedback about the things that you might have wanted to do when you finished? Yeah, look, my manager was, was Ricky Nixon throughout my entire career. So I remember walking into Ricky's office when I was just turned 18. I already signed my first deal with the Bulldogs, but it was for that for that next one sort of coming up. And and to be honest, Ricky was great for me for, for a long period of time for, for all aspects of, of footy and uh, and certainly setting me up well within within the club and the negotiation side of things. And and he had um, fantastic contacts in the media world that would give give myself opportunities to um, you know do stuff in terms of the radio or TV and and also um, you know the the outside speaking engagements or promotions that you would do would all help along the way. So. Um, so Flying Start was was uh, a, an excellent company to be uh, be associated with. There were some good people too that were were involved there. You know, Jason Richardson early days, and Dan Richardson, who's at Essendon now. He was he was involved. Paul Connors was there when when I was coming through as well. Uh, Carly Miranda. So some fantastic people that um, are still involved in, in footy and sport today in some really important roles. So. Um, you know, they all help shape and guide, you know, those different experiences that I went through. And then when I finished, um, I, I moved over to uh, one management with Bruce Cater. So Bruce was also involved with the Bulldogs in a similar role that uh, that you had, uh, Ed, there. And, and Bruce was um, Bruce was sensational in terms of helping me adjust from, from footy through to life after in terms of the, the role in the media and, and, um, and adjusting to life and what's next and how to set up. So he was, um, he was great. And I sort of do a lot of sort of stuff on on, on my own and, and that sort of stuff as well because um, you know uh, Bravo management helped with uh, a lot a bit of my stuff at the moment but ultimately I sort of got to the point where I probably needed to I had enough experience where I could start to sit down and just why couldn't I have the conversation with Fox and have a chat to them about what's next and and that sort of stuff so I sort of once once I got to that point I was just comfortable and confident that you know I sort of could do a lot of stuff on my own in terms of that, those conversations. Plus, it sort of worked a little bit um, in terms of just me wanting to grow up um, and do stuff for myself because I've relied on a manager to, to get me a, a gig or, or a job or anything like that or a new contract. I just thought, no, it's time to sort of grow up a little bit and start doing stuff on, on my own, which I found really positive and, and really helped, um, you know, me as a person as well. Like, you know, they, they can be quite nerve-wracking conversations and going back again. Yeah, we'll, we'll get something sorted soon and then 
do I do I go back next week? Do I go back in two weeks? Oh, when do I do this? And maybe I did annoy and frustrate some people along the way, but you live and learn. And I really enjoyed the opportunity just to do stuff for myself um, and and grow up in in that sense of the negotiation side of uh, of life as well. And that that obviously, and we'll get to this in a second, but that obviously would help you with with Zena and the and the, and the work you're doing in that in that front. But before we get to Zena, and which is a product that Brad and his wife Donna have developed, ladies and gentlemen, is can you talk about the AFLPA and the AFL and 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 the if you like the support that over the course of your career in the game, and then now that you're out of the game, but you're still if you like, heavily involved on the non-playing side. How have you seen that that's evolved with respect to the way that they've looked at the the development of the whole person and the development of, of opportunities to ensure that players have got the ability to suss things out for what they might want to do when they finish playing? Because I know probably when you started, there wasn't, I, mean, I think the AFL Players Association had been going for a fair while, but yeah. it, it didn't really sort of... Uh, I think probably gather momentum until the early 2000s, probably as you were sort of coming towards the, the, the middle and latter stages of your career. But it seems now that it's become, a, obviously it's a very influential component of the game because of the, the constituents that, that it looks after. But tell me about the, the way that you think that, that that aspect of the AFL and the AFL Players Association has evolved to actually provide players with the structure and the support that they need to help transition. Oh, look, when I first started, it was... You, you pay your membership and you, you, you get a long sleeve t-shirt <laughs> or a jumper or something. And look, and I was young, so I, I wasn't really uh, attuned to what it was what it was about. And they, they more looked after just the rights of the players, I suppose, then, and um, and setting up you know the the type of deals and, and contracts and that that were acceptable for a guy walking in his first year right right through. But it's it's evolved. It it, it evolved to them. I remember helping with study, and they were they gave the, they gave the players computers or a fund, to, a little bit of money to help with their study, you know, and help take some of those take some of the heat off the hex fees and and aspects like that. And it sort of evolved from that to a few more resources being involved, and then they started talking about life after footy, and that, the resources just started to grow. By the time I finished, it was a uh, it was a really strong organisation. In the last ten years, it's got bigger and stronger again because of the just what they they offer the players so much support but really it's it's there it's up to the players to to utilize it um because the resources that that they also have are huge from from all fronts through through the you know protection of the players through the cba you know through to you know media training and 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 resources around work education and and schooling and and they can help you get into a course or do what you like so they're a, they're a huge resource, and um, and they've even you know, even their past their past player stuff is the support in that you know from what we read through all the emails that come through has has really grown as well in support for players, especially medically that that finish the game that might need some work to um, get themselves healthy again because they are either sore or shoulders or knees or, or whatever it is post game that they can that they can really help with. So they're a huge resource for for the game, but but in particular the players. And I, I'm obviously, I, I suspect that whilst they're a huge resource for the players, at the end of the day, the players have got to be proactive in getting off their backsides and, and yeah. in, if you like, leveraging the, the support that's out there for them. There's a lot. There, there, is, there is a lot out there and it's up to, you're right, it's up to the players to um, engage with it. Um, and sometimes it takes a little bit of research. A lot of the club personnel, the major club personnel, certainly have the knowledge around what the, 
the Players Association offer. Sometimes you get the booklets, you put them in your locker and you can forget about it, you know what I mean? So, but you'd implore the players to, and I think it'd be a lot better today than what, what it was when we were coming through, that a lot more would tap into the resources that, that the uh, Players Association do have. Let's talk about Xena, a product which is designed to help protect the chest and rib part of the of the female anatomy and yep. it's something that you and Donna have developed over the course of the last couple of years. The floor is yours, mate. Tell us about it. Oh, no, thank you, mate. It's, well, no, it's – and I know you've um, you've experienced uh, – well, you haven't personally experienced it, Carla, but <laughs> your daughter yeah, My, my but, daughter uh, listeners, not me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's something that's evolved over the last probably three, three and a half years now and it's um, entering the world of, of owning our own business and – it's, uh, it's been exciting. We've had our ups and downs and our trials and tribulations along the way, but it's, um, it's really taught us a lot, and we've had to do it a lot ourselves and find out a lot about um, you know, where we wanted to go with this. It was something completely new to us, but we've had some really good people jump on board and help bring, bring our garments alive. So it does, it does protect the breasts and ribs of girls playing any form of contact sport. We're focused on footy to start because that's what we know, but we've had reach from a whole range of sports, and the contact could be as light as a, you know, a slight bump or elbow into those areas or the more high-impact type sports that, that uh, you know, like AFL, that have full-on tackling, and the the girls crack in. They have a they have a red hot go. The girls, so it's been it's been good to watch and evolve, um, you know, with the game over the last few years. And now we're at the point where, you know, we've got a really really good garment that the girls love wearing, and um, we've got a number of AFLW girls that have that have worn it, and a lot of sports now that are starting to reach out to us to to wear the garment, and um, and it's great. Look, sports stopped in in Victoria pretty much, but it's starting to kick into gear again around Australia and we've learned a lot about ourselves and, and where the business was at you know pre-COVID to, to now um, and we're just wrapped that we can offer something that gives the girls an option to either give them confidence or you know help with their recovery or um, allows them to go out there and play to the best of their ability and know that they can absorb the contact that comes their way and feel better about themselves because and that's how it all started because my wife was at a game and a young girl came off with a with a breast injury and we just sort of started to chat around what can we do to help some of the girls that are going through adolescence and developing and because um, I used to wear padding on a rib and no one would know and it was something that I just needed because of the, the uh, little injury that I had at, at that time and it was it was something that we just wanted to you know bring out and, and support the girls with and it's it's been good fun it really has and, and that must have been uh, it must be rewarding and certainly you know my daughter wears it and she thinks it's terrific the, the things that you learned through that what I'd call the high performance mindset, being involved in the in an elite sporting environment for such a long period of time, those transferable skills, those skills um, must be incredibly helpful now with respect to to what you're doing from a business point of view, but also more broadly to the, to our listeners, especially to the sports men and women out there. That there's a lot of skills that you learn over the course of a a career that can actually be brought to bear across a whole range of different industries and applications that when you're actually playing, you might not even be aware of it. I still work off an A4 piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should be we should be videoing this. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, there's there's so much. Honestly, it's it's all around that that organisation. We're extremely dedicated to make this the best that it can possibly be, and I think that that dedication and that commitment to a certain task is something that I've always sort of thrived on, and it's given us a real. Um, a real push forward as a as a family as well to know that we've been able to 
you know, achieve something. For Donna and I, we sat there when we got our first garment here and it arrived. We went, you know what, we, we don't want to end now, but it's just an achievement to get to that point where we're able. We talked about it for a while. We struggled and we found a lady, uh, Amanda Herod, modulus designer. She was brilliant. She bought it for life. And then all of a sudden, we had one sitting at our desk and it was like, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, <laughs> like we've achieved something here going from no knowledge to all of a sudden, three years later, having an abundance of, of knowledge because of the work you've got to put into to research and development and, and all these things and negotiating um, as well with different people to achieve it. And now we've got to a point where it's it's a lot easier for us to produce the garments and get them here. And we've just created a really good structure now that will help us obviously flow hopefully, as the uh, as the business grows. And, I mean, there's no doubt about it that, you know, opportunities aren't just in Australia, I suspect, with respect to what you've done and what you've developed, and, and that's and that's really exciting. Now, mate, we could literally talk for hours. I know you've got a few <laughs> other things you've got to do, but the, the, the thing that I ask all of my guests as the last question is, is, is something that's really got to do with what you've learned, but more importantly, the things that you might, you might uh, impart onto especially the AFL players, but also sportsmen and women more broadly. I mean, if you think about what you could what you could tell your 20-year-old self if you knew then what you know now about your life in professional sport, but more importantly for the context of this conversation about transitioning to life after sport so you live a happy, healthy and productive life. Oh, look, I, just, just to embrace the opportunities, I think that's the, the number one thing that, even if you if you last six months, two years, ten years, but if you jump in with it and, and embrace it, then it, it shows out with other people that they won't forget that. And if you go in there and you you complain and you you know think it's painful and you know, people remember that, but they also remember the people that jump in and they go, you know what, this this guy might have had the talent and he might have made it, but but gee, he looked like he enjoyed his time and he really embraced the opportunity, worked hard. And you might go to that person later in life, and you know they'll, they won't forget it. And I think that's that's something that's that's really important that you can really have a, a positive impact for yourself, more importantly, but also the others around you if you just um, really embrace the opportunities that are presented to you. It's a great answer, Brad. Mate, it's terrific to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the the footy this evening, and uh, mate, stay safe. It's great to speak with you. Awesome, Ed. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Thanks, everyone. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Wide Open Road podcast. I'd love to know what you think, so please email me at edward underscore kemp at bigpond.com if you'd like to share your thoughts, suggestions or recommendations with me. And if you happen to know a retired professional athlete who might like to share their story, please contact me as I'd love to speak with them. And if you do like what you hear, please subscribe to the Wide Open Road podcast and share this podcast with your friends. And remember, our next episode will be released in two weeks' time. Until then, all the best.